Hi, Murli. Welcome to another episode of uh, FinTech uh, Friday podcast. Uh, Thanks, uh, Ajay. Uh, this is the first time actually we are having a guest uh, from uh, outside India. And obviously, FinTech is a global sector, and yeah, so it's about wonderful. time that we get there. So, Murli, I guess uh, rather than me introducing, maybe if you can briefly introduce yourself, uh, your journey so far, and you know where are you in terms of the fintech journey at this point of time that will be great and then i can start with a few questions after sure so um i'm currently managing director with uh, mclaren strategic ventures based out of california uh, mclaren strategic ventures is a unique um, company that combines capital uh, deployment ability with uh, revenue generation ability with uh, platform building ability so look at us as a sort of hybrid uh, private equity venture capital combined with a, a software startup combined uh, with a distribution uh, uh, expert and uh, we bring this because we have access to pr- uh, private capital that runs in hundreds of millions of dollars um we based here in the us have been working uh, for the last 20 25 years in this uh, sector uh of technology uh sales into financial services industry retail industry healthcare industry and we know the big players we know how to access them we know how to work the procurement as well as the business uh, buyers and the technology buyers in these large enterprises it takes a particular set of skills to navigate them as you know because there are uh, at least eight um, different uh, influencers uh, at the buying table so you got to know how to navigate that in addition right. to acceleration and capital we also have inherent ability um in cognitive technologies and deep technologies so i'm talking about blockchain cloud um, artificial intelligence and everything that contributes to the so called digital technologies right so we are able to look at uh, process automation based uh, so, uh, solutions for um quite vexing use cases and uh, know how to apply specifically customer experience for example using solutions using natural language processing natural language understanding machine learning uh, and advanced analytics to to look at broad um, uh, pattern detection and and solving use cases like financial crime using pattern detection that comes out of machine learning and we can apply image processing for example to help with insurance companies do claims management um you know and reduce the cost of claims uh, man, uh claims man, claims processing so we combine that's an example of how we combine capital acceleration mm-hmm. and technology slash platform build uh to bring something new into the market we've not seen a similar model before most capital operators like uh, private equity companies uh, or venture capital companies offer the ability mm-hmm. to startups to uh, go to customers but it is mostly limited to introduction to customers which is from our own experience yeah. when we were in university global and we had this investment from carlyle uh, that we were finalizing as well as you know eventually with temasek we found that most of their activities limited to introduction and not really okay. go all the way through to closing the sale so what we offer our startup partners is the ability to go all the way to closing the scale closing the sale in territories like the US Australia Middle East where we have strategic partners with whom we have in equity investments and uh, and we know how the market operates we have access to the customers 
and we have the wherewithal to stay um, until the deal is closed. Wow. Sorry, long long introduction, but uh, I thought it was important <laughs> for me to explain the concept because there's nothing that I cannot say that okay, hey, we are like X Y Z company, like you know, we we operate in this market like Accenture. Then you know um, what we are, but it's kind of unique, so that's why I went into the long-winded explanation. Yeah, or the other way is you could say it's Accenture plus. Maybe Anderson Horowitz plus maybe uh, McKinsey and and something like that, right? And <laughs> yeah, so uh, no, that's wonderful. I think we've had uh, guests before who mostly talked about uh, tech, uh, but I'm happy that uh, you know I'm talking to somebody who comes uh, from the fin world as well uh, because fintech is equally fin and and tech as well. So uh, one of the things that strikes me, as you rightly said. it's hard to describe what what you do in terms of the existing blocks it's like a reconfiguration of uh, some of the blocks uh, to bring a new super block uh, if one could call it i think that's something that is happening across the board right the traditional boundaries between like you said venture capital versus uh, you know somebody who's uh, consulting versus somebody who's maybe operational consulting the strategic operational and so on everything is kind of in a way merging so we are we are looking at a very different world and i think most of it is happening i guess because of uh, data which flows through and technology which is applicable across the different domains which were are otherwise siloed in some sense however having said that i think finance has been generally a very slow to sort of take up on this right so uh, i can tell you my my learning was when i uh, wrote a book last year called fintech future i think the b2c side of world has become very highly tech driven uh, but the b2b is still somewhat more stodgy old world what You're is your right. uh, and the reason is the reason is one word regulation yeah. right so right. regulation uh, while it limits the activities of some of players with regard to specific areas it also limits the ability of uh, competition to get into those areas so regulation right. at the same time plays the role of uh, of uh, a policeman within an industry mm-hmm. but it also plays the role of the watchman as far as others getting into the industry and that's the reason why uh, if you look at healthcare insurance as an area which is heavily regulated versus banking uh, if you look at anti money laundering or any enterprise application of banking which is heavily regulated you will find that pace of change has been slow while uh, b2c has been driven um, while it is regulated people have actually uh, uh, different companies have tried to become financial services companies and offered offered services to their consuming public through tie ups um the easiest uh, one to understand is uh, how credit cards being offered as uh, you know in tie ups by so every single retail outlet offers credit cards and then you have loyalty bonuses that come on top of it and then they then they drive your behavior in certain ways by offering you cashbacks and things like that in this in this industry in this uh, very mature credit card market the same thing then spilled over into personal finances so where they offer um paycheck loans which banks are not willing to take the risk and offer that's how they got started that's how private operators got started and then that extended into mortgages that extended into personal loans and vehicle loans and vehicle loans ultimately translating into vehicle leases which are offered by the um distributor vehicle distributors and they have a back end uh, tie up with the bank and in many cases that bank is completely opaque to the consumer 
So a consumer who walks into say a Toyota dealership to take a buy a car and ends up getting a lease for three years or four years for that car, ultimately does not even know which bank is uh, behind that uh, dealership yeah. funding that deal. You know, so there is a very limited loyalty over there, and for the dealership to shift from one bank to another player who is a private fintech player, for example, in specializing in vehicle loans, is very easy because the customer did not know them anyway. On the other hand, yeah. for corporates to a corporate bank in corporate banking and B2B banking, the, that pace of change has been slow. The main area where the, we have seen a change is uh, cross-border remittance, for instance, where other players have come in and offered uh, services to expedite the, um, the uh, cross-border payments, thereby expedite the speed of business. Uh, in addition, areas like uh, corporate credit cards, uh, while the banks have been you know, sort of reluctant to offer corporate credit cards, the private players have come in and offered that. So, uh, the pace of change, but other areas that are regulated like filing, for example, corporate filing or financial crime, anti-money laundering uh, has been slower. On the other hand, uh, where the banks have found a lot, their costs increasing like trade finance, KYC, areas they have outsourced. And the outsourced parties have then become extremely sophisticated in applying artificial intelligence, for instance, to look at multiple documents and establishing the identity of a person on a continuous basis. So wherever the banks have struggled with certain functions and they have outsourced it, uh, players have pro- uh, popped up who have used um, advanced technologies to offer those same services to the banks. So it's a the, the landscape is a little muddied. Uh, those areas that are regulated have seen less entry by external players, but those areas where the banks themselves have sort of given up uh, because of higher cost, lower co- speed of transactions and hurdles associated with it, and ultimately no benefit to them, they have outsourced and that's seen a lot of, uh, lot of uh, players come up. Uh, and B2C where, uh, you know, the end, where every ba- company in the world is now striving to be a financial services company that offers facilities to their own vendors, their own suppliers, their customers, and expand that list of uh, services. Um, you know, we've seen increased activity to your earlier point. Uh, so to your earlier point, Sanjay, in an area like retail, where there's hardly any regulation, except of course, you know, sale of alcohol or tobacco to minors and things like that, which nobody has really gotten to so- and wanting to solve. Uh, retail has seen incredible innovation in the last uh, 20 years or so. Um, when you look at um, pure e-commerce, loyalty management, shrink management, distribution management, uh, you know, and ultimately customer experience. Like this Sochcast? Tune in for more with the Sochcast app from the Google Play Store. I think uh, you're absolutely right. I think uh, you, you've seen trillion dollar companies getting formed in uh, areas like uh, retail, Amazon, uh, media, Google, uh, which industries which did not really exist maybe 20 years back. So purely internet native uh, uh, in some sense. Uh, but we haven't seen that in the world of finance yet. Right. I mean, right. Uh, and a lot of it is, as you rightly mentioned, probably because of uh, regulations uh, uh, and sort of cautious approach of regulators to, you know, sort of go slow, be conservative, not rock the boat and so on and so forth. Right. Uh, so on one side, you have the banks which uh, will want to use these technologies only for uh, areas where they really need help, like you mentioned. Right. But on the other side, there are fintech companies which are increasingly becoming more and more 
you know prominent and trying to take portions of business away from banks so it's like in That's a way right. uh death by thousand cuts kind of a thing but it's a very slow process uh, exactly so right. i think there are some companies uh, some fintech companies which are now getting uh, whether in payments whether in uh, you know some of the newer areas uh, bnpl crypto etc yeah. which are 100 billion dollars and up there about so uh, it's an interesting uh, time though i think uh, it's still not getting to a stage where we'll see a, a trillion dollar uh, fintech or a bank tech uh, or something like that in some sense though on the other side you also see you talked about blockchain and that's something which comes as a potential solution to look at uh, the whole thing in a different way and in a sense uh, sort of uh, maybe uh, uh, question the very system that uh, that exists in a particular way how do you see regulators who are cautiously accepting that uh, as well especially in us where we've had coinbase listing uh, we've had many other uh, stable coins being issued and so on and so forth still not uh, fully fully kosher but getting there slowly how do you see those uh, companies coming up because they sort of over a period of time could dilute the boundary between this b2c and b2c b2b right because they are in some sense blockchain native uh, which could which could be seen as uh, breaking those walls uh, creating new banks or new uh, you know you could call coinbase as a de facto bank in in future in some sense and they could offer services to their business customers which are very similar to what we get as a consumer of uh, maybe a fintech company so how do you see this playing out over the next like 5 maybe 10 years so uh you absolutely right cryptocurrencies uh will be one of those things that add to the death by 1000 cuts and death by 1000 cuts is right sanjay because there were 14000 banks 30 years ago in the us today there are 4700 banks if you draw the graph it's a straight line decline and uh, obviously a lot of them went out of business went and got acquired merged and things like that but uh, the net result is the same uh it is a combination of uh, the fintech onslaught changing customer expectations because they want um easier ways of doing things uh because they are now already trained by the googles and the and the facebooks and the apps of the world for easier experience so um the utility of banks have gone down for the average consumer and I, i see i have a front row seat here whether it is mortgage payments whether it is checking account saving accounts credit cards there's no real need for a bank you can in fact you can get remittances you can get a service from dealing with fintech companies so the relevance of banks have gone away for a lot of consumers um in fact it's painful if i open a business banking account with one of the largest banks in the us i have to maintain a minimum balance of 5000 on the other hand uh, there is a um, very well known um, fintech who offers you zero balance so why would i go and open the account in the bank the same thing with uh, bank transfer uh, we recently after the spack we recently had a horrible experience with one of the largest banks in the us trying to transfer our money so that we could close the trade on the t plus 2 a deadline it was just an incredibly awful experience and we have decided to move our account to the bank uh so it's a it's a question of time uh i think gartner has predicted a severe reduction in banks in the next 10 years because of all these factors uh crypto is again one of those uh cuts 
uh, in the death by thousand cuts uh, because like you said with coinbase kraken uh, or anybody uh, else who's offering uh, crypto based services they have reached a point of maturity which is so far advanced banks are not even at the starting line they are by regulation kept out they can't offer wallets today there are wallets that yeah. store hundreds of millions possibly billions of dollars in cryptocurrency and banks have zero zero percent share of that business imagine that it's it's unimaginable if you think about the fact that a person's savings is no longer with a bank uh a liquid savings is no longer with the bank albeit the liquidity is very volatile this is a risk that people have taken but none of that money is within the power of a bank to utilize number one number two there are many uh crypto companies who are now offering uh interest on crypto savings up to 10% sometimes even much much more and loans against crypto currency that's being held and uh even uh from a distribution uh, distributed financial um defi perspective um uh a lot of services being offered now that are crypto based right where the smart contracts are written it's automatically ex- executed upon the uh upon a condition or a set of conditions being right uh, and these smart contracts are already being executed in many of these platforms the defi platforms that are built on uh, some of the uh, the platforms like ethereum and 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 solana and others um that adoption has, is taking place in a very rapid pace so what was traditionally imagine a um, manual process like uh, a trade trade processing uh, workflow is now driven entirely through a smart contract um, and uh, by the fact that it is uh, the identities are on chain you don't even need the intermediaries to do the the necessary things that were done in the past like validate a person's identity validate the existence of funds these are now automatic this is on chain it's part of part of the smart contract the algorithm does it for you it's already eliminated the middleman so as people discuss more and more entities whether they are enterprises or individuals discover the convenience reliability uh, and security of it there will be a rapid adoption and what i anticipate is really a tipping point at which that adoption becomes so high the banks become completely irrelevant and there will be a massive flow so we saw what happened with china they had a uh, they did a regulatory attack right on the uh, on 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 bitcoin but nothing really happened to the value of the of the currency in fact it went up uh, you can attribute it to volatility and it might go up and down in the near term but over a, over the long term it's expected to increase in terms of its value and in terms of its adoption as more and more people adopt it uh the like countries like el salvador cities like miami they're very very friendly to cryptocurrencies and they attract these crypto billionaires and millionaires to come in and operate from those places and then they will drive innovation they will uh drive capital so uh, a cryptocurrency billionaire or a cryptocurrency vc is likely to be offering a lot more innovative instruments to uh entrepreneurs to get started driving the whole innovation ecosystem out of these current countries and these these cities thereby being a very very credible threats to threat to banks so it's not only encroaching on what banks are not traditionally doing like you know vc activity and funding activity but also they will encroach very rapidly into what banks are doing currently which is 
mortgages and trade finance and 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 loans and unsecured loans and and secured loans and and, and all the rest of it uh, regulation will come but uh, like you said these crypto players already have a, a strong lead over banks and i frankly do not see how the banks can catch up they just can't cannot their thinking is too fossilized they don't have that innovative uh, bone in their in their bodies anymore they are uh, also extremely averse to risk taking they are driven by reg- regulation and not the other way around while the crypto players are driven by innovation and speed and not by regulation so there's i think that the chip is already sailed and, and it's a death knell for the banks <laughs> yeah i work with a big a bank the largest bank in in us actually so it uh, sounds a bit uh, uh, nostalgic worrying whatever you would call it but yeah i think things things change when they do change whether we like it or not yeah having said that you know while i say, yeah. so you look at 14000 banks becoming 4700 banks not driven by this kind of innovation now with this kind of innovation accelerating things you know these 4700 to become 47 in the next 10 years the ones that survive are the ones that are going to embrace change as quickly as possible they will understand what customers want they will they will be at the forefront of innovation they will invest in these innovations in a one way or the other within the limits of what the regulators allow they will also have to lobby the regulators to allow them to uh, participate in this innovation one way or the other either create a wall and then form uh, you know companies that that's so they'll have to solve the problem what i'm trying to say is that those that do not change yeah. are going to have uh, have it very difficult true true i think there is uh, there should there is not and there should not be a free lunch in some sense and yeah. uh, over manages to keep ahead of the changes that are coming will certainly do better whether they are in the conventional system or the new system it's really the innovation creativity being ability being able to see sort of ahead uh, as well as behind the uh, sort of curve so to speak and so on and so forth yeah. that will matter like this sochcast Tune in for more with the Sochcast app from the Google Play Store. You talked about uh, SPAC uh, that 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 you did. Can you explain to our uh, listeners on what is a SPAC and uh, you know how would uh, a new capital instrument like this uh, sort of accelerate that shift that you are talking about? especially with respect to banking fintech and these new innovative areas sure so aspac is a special purpose acquisition company uh, that is allowed to list on a stock exchange currently only the us allows it um, we listed ours in nasdaq um, stock exchange the spac uh, is a an entity that you form in order for the express purposes of acquiring another company so in other words you form a company for the purpose of acquiring another company and you go and list it into the stock market with a thesis and the thesis could be uh, rooted in any industry like technology or financial services or crypto or renewable energy or electric vehicles and these are categories that you will see uh, under which there are many spacs have come out what they do uh, is basically go to the investors and uh, they sell the investors on a story that would be predicated on the operational expertise of the team the ability for that team to put in the seed capital um which which could runs in run into millions tens of millions of dollars and once the capital is raised the ability of the team to locate and close a transaction within a small period of time 
So the SPAC uh, allows a team that has the background seed capital uh, reach and access uh, to raise capital from the stock market and um, then turn around, find uh, a target to acquire. And after acquisition, it automatically becomes public because um, the SPAC is a public company. It's basically acquiring a, a whole or a portion of another company. And by the process of acquisition, the target company automatically becomes listed in the U.S. stock exchange that's going for. The companies it acquires could be located anywhere in the U.S. Uh, and the acquisition would be guided by the rules of that local market. Um, but uh, after the acquisition, it becomes a U.S. listed company. Right. And how would how would something like this, which is somewhat unconventional, like you said, this is just U.S. that allows it uh, at this point of time. And maybe part of it is due to large amount of liquidity that is sort of sloshing the global markets. But there is clearly a way in which one can think of this as a change agent, right? Uh, yeah. Or things that are about to change but need capital. And That's the right. conventional system may not be very... Uh, whether it's VCs or whether it's, uh, you know, the conventional other capital providers may not be as fast, swift to be able to take up those scaled uh, scaled up uh, bets, so to speak, which, which that is right. like allows allows to. So in the context of what you described at the beginning, you know, various technologies, AI, uh, machine learning, natural language processing, uh, bringing it all together to be able to automate a lot of things that current, uh, you know, industry uh, operates in or structures that they operate in. How do you see SPACs making a big contribution to bringing that future, which otherwise could be 10 years forward, maybe five years forward, or, you know, bringing that future today? Yeah. So, um, it uh, the alternative to a company to go public is really to go and do an IPO. Uh, where the right. company drives, uh, the company's management, its board uh, drives that decision. And the, and it requires a roadshow and, and quite a bit of investment uh, for the company to go and uh, perform some of the due diligence required, the filing requirements, fulfill the filing requirements, etc. Uh, before they go public. Uh, so look at SPAC as, an, as the inverse of an IPO, where uh, the money has been raised already. And uh, you just need to do enter into a transaction with the company from an, uh, you know, as an acquisition transaction or merger transaction that will allow it to get listed automatically. So the end result is that it's a faster path to liquidity uh, uh, in one of the richest stock exchanges in the world that allows you to uh, become perhaps a little bit more credible than if you were operating as a private entity in a country that's not in, in the mainstream. Uh, so I'm not talking about India, but it could be a, com- a, a company in Vietnam, for instance, that's yep. doing a great job, but is unable to be, vis- is, is not visible, um, you know, has a product that cannot be scaled because locally funding is not available, access to market is not available as easily, whatever be the reason, right? A SPAC allows uh, a company like that to be spotted and to get listed uh, with very little overhead and effort on the part of the company, and they com- they continue to focus on the core operations and the innovations that allow them to be successful. While the SPAC, uh, uh, you know, allows the company to do the listing very quickly and efficiently. Uh, already, there are about a half a trillion dollars of uh, funds that has been raised already by SPAC and the SPACs, various SPACs, and they are looking for such targets 
to acquire and 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 enlist this year already uh, 110 uh, such combinations have been announced uh, 40 of them in the technology and plus financial services sectors um, oh. and uh, Uh, you know, to your point, uh, it speeds up the ability of the end business to access cash from one of the richest bourses in the in the stock markets in the world, and allows them to speed up the innovations, um, either R and D or acquisition driven expansion or revenue go to market business development uh, investments, uh, including marketing. So, it basically allows for acceleration at a fairly rapid rate. uh and that's what spacs do yep yep i think that that's a really wonderful uh, i think financial industry never uh, uh stops uh, creating newer uh, in some sense uh, structures for changing times right to the point uh, sanjay uh, spacs have been around in the us for a long time it is just that in the last 2 years the uh, volume of funds flowing into spacs have gone through the roof because of uh, enhanced interest in this um, in this new in this model uh, it it came into mainstream i would say in the last couple of years. it's been there for many number of years in the us and that's why the us is such a melting pot of innovation uh, and you see all these new instruments there allowing for you to you know to really achieve your objectives for a company to for an entrepreneur to reach his goals um, very quickly you know using the these instruments that are at hand Yep. Yep. And on the other other side, obviously, it also gives the uh, public investors, and not necessarily the large ones, but even the small ones, to have an ability to uh, to have access to effectively private investments, right? Which otherwise would have been only for uh, private capital VCs, uh, etc. So it it sort of uh, uh, you know uh, brings about a lot of uh, different. innovations turns things around and uh, everybody has to be on their toes to sort of uh, to to sort of uh, keep keep making what they are and keep going forward or else you cannot get left behind uh, that's correct uh, very fast so so with an ipo so, imagine an ipo like for example recently rivian went ipo i'll yeah. i'll compare that with lucid air you know just uh, as a side by side comparison and i'm not comparing the quality of the cars nor the state of the company but rivian did their ipo and the ipo was fully priced when it came out so the entry point would have been something like i don't know 70 dollars and 90 dollars for an average uh, common investor uh, who is looking to pick up 100 or 1000 lots right uh, mm-hmm. 1000 shares in a lot but uh, i'll compare so that was rivian which went to a, through a traditional ipo for lucid air which is now touted as uh, uh, you know better than tesla in terms of range and things like that um, i'm not seen the car i have not compared it with tesla myself so i'm just going by by reports in the press lucid went through was listed through a spac transaction mm-hmm. so the spac that did the transaction is a spac called churchill investments you know i forget the churchill is the is the name of the company but i i don't know how to, you can look it up um sure. churchill uh, was a, was listed at 10 dollars and then the initial rumors started circulating about them possibly acquiring uh, lucid and through a spac deal and then listing in the market the shares were available at that 10 dollar range mm-hmm. okay 
and if you i mean there's a certain risk to it but if you basically look at the founders and and um, look at the source of the the information coming in and you had taken a bet you would have written rid- the value increase all the way as the value went right. up after the acquisition of lucid air and where is it now uh, if you i, th- I think uh, it is at 60 uh, 40 or so dollars uh sure. just tell you mm. so essentially it gave an opportunity to public market investors big and small to enter at a far lower uh, that's right an early stage than uh, than would have been the case in a traditional so uh, it's at 52 dollars right now right right <laughs> so it's so very interesting yeah so obviously you know the stock goes up and down based on rumors um, but uh, if you know the promoters and you know that they have the ability to not only strike a deal but also continue to help the management grow the company then it Absolutely. allows you to enter the stock at the lower level and uh, at a 10 dollar level and then uh, eventually go up this is not a recommendation to invest in spacs and uh, you know every is just uh, for yep. informational entertainment purposes only like everybody yes. says Yeah so this doesn't this mean that financial tax and... legal advice <laughs> correct not at all and yeah. i'd like to make sure that caveat is out there yeah. yeah okay wonderful i think we've covered a lot of uh, grounds from technology finance capital markets uh, spacs uh, blockchain maybe one final question on you know what the regulatory system is looking at uh, which uh, which could make a credible sort of an alternative to the crypto uh, world that's coming up which is in the form of uh, central bank uh, digital uh, currencies which uh, could provide a way to for money to be digital uh, uh, without necessarily becoming crypto right and do you have any view on on this uh, which could be probably one of the most defining sort of uh, in some sense depending on country by country different countries would look at it differently china is already out with its uh, ecny as they uh, sort of uh, crack down on crypto uh, earlier this year like you mentioned the ecny is all, already uh, uh, supposedly uh, covers 10% of the population so uh, it's a pretty fast scale up uh, of that so how do you see uh, the response from uh, the uh, the central banks the regulators the conventional government and the states to become digital themselves pretty fast yeah they i think it's important for you know the cbdt to come out the uh, what is it cbdc right uh, central bank yeah. digital coin cbdc yeah yeah see i think it's important for cbdcs to come out because that space is filled with stable so called stable coins right now that are not really backed with uh, value so if you look at uh, some of the recent uh, articles about one of the stable coins that uh, has been uh, under the red um, scanner by the us yeah. regulators there is enough evidence to go to say that that um, the um, stable coins are not really backed and hence not the value might yeah not so stable exactly <laughs> so uh, i think it's important for the uh, cbdcs to come out which can then offer that offer that value and for them to also occupy that space i believe that crypto currency and the whole crypto world will benefit from regulation i believe that uh, countries like the us will lead with regulation 
uh, and other countries would look at that as a um, as a map of what to uh, what to apply in their own countries. They will obviously uh, be more conservative or be more uh, liberal depending on the country itself. Like still, El Salvador that's already adopted Bitcoin is probably uh, going to be a lot more liberal because they stand to gain a lot as compared to say in uh, an India. You know, because it does come with the level of um, opacity um, that crypto allows and for transactions, cross-border transactions or whatever to happen without really the regulator seeing what's going on or the tax authority seeing what's going on. So it's a difficult thing to grapple with for these countries. But obviously, they'll come up with the first uh, version of uh, whatever regulation is, is out there so that uh, people don't really lose the money right now. There is a real chance that a lot of people could lose money because it's like this reminds me of the tulip mania in the 1800s because all kinds of random arbitrary coins are being floated by people who are making off with the funds they are also there's also rampant speculation on uh, what kind of um, you know cryptocurrency will go go up in value uh, obscenely and and a lot of money people are making money also uh, by doing that but I have a fear that uh, there will be a, a collapse triggered by one or several events, uh, which would wipe out a lot of people, unfortunately. But uh, it is sure to come. Uh, but what comes out of it would be a more robust uh, and more uh, concrete framework of cryptocurrency for people to use. Uh, but ultimately, this decentralized uh, currency uh, system is here to stay. So the faster the governments figure out how to regulate it and ensure that their citizens are protected from uh, the volatility, the better it is for governments, the people, uh, and the entire financial system. Wonderful. I think that's uh, very well said. I think people have to be more careful when dealing with some of these new asset classes. Governments have to be far more active, and uh, let's hope all of this happens, and and we see nice uh, rails for innovation to make uh, things more easier uh, across uh, all sectors of uh, finance and fintech. So, with that, uh, let me bring this to close. Murli, thank you so much. Uh, I know it's a little bit early on the West Coast. Uh, uh, so this is Fintech Friday uh, podcast, and uh, thank you for uh, being the guest today. Thanks, Lord Sanjay. Thank you.